All right, let's talk about controls. And this time, we're talking about stability, one of the most important aspects of control. Not necessarily if your controller is stable, though obviously if you have a controller in a system, you want it to be stable, but more so how you decide whether or not your system you're going to be controlling is stable, and therefore how you could create a controller to stabilize it potentially. There's lots of different aspects of it, lots of different approaches. We're going to talk about three of the main ones that we cover in the textbook, although there are several others. There's all sorts of different ways you can guarantee or at least get a feel for whether or not a system is going to be stable. And today, as a bit of a switch up, I'm joined by a colleague who did not create these modules, but recently learned about stability using the modules. And so let's just kick off with BIBO stability. What's BIBO stability? So bounded input, bounded output um, All right. is essentially a means or a testing of a system. So essentially the way I've understood it is there's a bound which is negative infinity and positive infinity that your, your system or plant will go through. And as long as the output of the uh, system is not infinity, you will have a stable system. Meaning, for example, if you were to take, let's say, a ball at equilibrium uh, within a trough of a valley, and there was some force applied to it with a little bit of friction, eventually that ball rolling on the edges of the trough would come to a stable point, meaning it would be a stable system. Conversely, let's say you put the ball at the top of a mountain and you rolled it off, it would essentially not ever reach back to equilibrium, meaning it would be uh, an unstable system. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So exactly, BIBO stability is bounded input, bounded output. So just starting from the beginning, if a system is stable, exactly like you said, if you have a ball in a trough and you tap the ball, the ball will roll back and forth, but it will eventually settle back in the middle of the trough. And so it's stable. It goes back to either it's an, its starting point if it's disturbed, or it goes to another point when it's given an input, but that it always settles to an equilibrium. It settles to a steady state. Mm -hmm. If it's marginally stable, that would be like your ball in a trough is, on, is in space. So right. it, it rolls back and forth, oscillating back and forth, but never Very dies. Settling. It never damps out. It just goes back and forth forever. And unstable would be like you hit the ball with a thermonuclear device and it just goes off and never comes back. That's the sort of, those are the three main things we look at with stability is um, stable, marginally stable, and unstable. Unstable is very bad. Marginally stable is generally not great, but it doesn't mean your system's going to break. Stable is what you want. Absolutely. I love the, uh, the plug to the chemical plant right? <laughs> and to make sure that you're, you're testing properly. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, so the, the two things we touch on in biostability that are part of the only other thing that you really need to know about how this BIBO stability is applied other than just you give it an input and you get an output is that uh, BIBO stability is generally concerned with the natural and the forced response. So natural being how the system responds to its initial conditions and forced being how it responds to being perturbed. Hmm. That's basically the two aspects that are brought together to assess BIBO stability. And also the last part of it is that biostability is inherently an experimental technique. You're going to poke a system. You're going to give it a bunch of inputs generally. You can do it analytically. You can do things like using final value theorem to figure out what it will do. Hmm. But you can also just poke a black box and see what it does. And if you do that with enough range of values and you're confident enough that those values are what it's going to see, you can generally just say it's bibostable. Like I've given it all mm. the things it should ever see and it didn't go crazy. Therefore, it's probably bibostable. But it's it can be an experimental approach Fair. for better or worse. Fair. So from there on, we get into pole stability. I'll just cover a little bit of this just to get the ball rolling. So pole stability, again, you're worried about 
stable, marginally stable, and unstable. But again, you're looking at the poles of the system. So if you have your transfer function of your system, it's got some coefficients on top, some parameters, it's got some parameters on the bottom. The bottom is generally, especially in the Laplace domain, which is where control lives, it's a polynomial. And what you're worried about are the roots of that polynomial. That's where the poles are going to be. And so if the poles are in what we call the left-hand plane on a root locus, so in a root locus, you have an imaginary axis, you have a real axis, if they're on the left side of that imaginary axis, then it's stable. It's generally just a mathematical way to look at it. If those roots on the bottom are going to end up, if you plot them on the left side of the imaginary axis, everything's good. If they end up on the right side of the axis, or you have multiple ones on the imaginary axis at the same spot, so like there's two at the origin, then it's going to be unstable. So there's always jokes about mm. being on the right-hand side of the plane, the left side of the plane, all that kind of stuff. But uh, Classy. Yeah. <laughs> And then you get into marginal stability. And in marginal stability, it's basically if one pole is on the imaginary axis. So that's really the difference. Generally speaking, you're going to be looking at left plane versus right plane. That's really all you're going to be concerned about, or right in the middle. So generally speaking, you could say left is stable, right is unstable, on the axis is marginally stable. Mm. But the repeated poles do come into it. Just repeated poles are kind of rare. You're not, not normally going to see them all that often. So the downside to pole stability, it's basically pretty straightforward in how you figure it out. But yeah. the downside is you need to have a really good model of your system to be able to get those poles. You need to know those are the actual poles it has. So it has to be either a pretty simple model or you need to find, let's say you have a gain in your model and sure. the gains as part of that polynomial. You need to solve for all those values of the gain. So now you're doing it repetitively yeah, um, or looking at different ranges of K values. That's what we do in the module, actually, and also in some of the lecture slides as we go through. If you have a K value of this, all of a sudden it's unstable. But with this K value, it's stable. So you have the same system with the same polynomial on the bottom. But depending on your gain, it completely changes if it's stable or unstable. So it's a little bit tricky in terms of having to solve for all those and having to have a pretty straightforward equation on the bottom that you can easily find the roots of. But it is analytical, which is nice. Mm -hmm. It's one thing we need to talk about, though, is that these techniques, especially the pole placement technique, only applies to what we call LTI systems, so linear time invariant systems. Okay, yeah. They're linear, so if you increase the input, the output increases proportionally, and they're time invariant, given that like they don't change their properties over Based time. time yeah. If you're talking about nonlinear systems, that gets oh, much more complicated. <laughs> then you have to look at things like Lyapunov stability and things we don't generally cover, especially at this point in the textbook. But that's the general idea. Is there anything else... Anything there makes sense? Uh, for sure, for sure. I love the, uh, the one question is, do you have any real world examples you can tie to? For pole placement stability? I mean, other than just being able to, like I said, play with the gains and see things change. The, the examples we generally will go to are always just based on a DC motor because it's a super simple system. You can basically do everything it controls with it. Mm -hmm. So that. with a DC motor, you can look at two different aspects of a DC motor in that if you give a DC motor a step input, which you would traditionally give it a step input in terms of speed. So if you're if you're concerned with the speed of the motor, that's your system model. Yeah, that's stable because you give it a step input, it goes to a speed, it sits there forever. Holds it, yeah. But if you're concerned with the position of the motor, so you're adding an integral gain to your system, yeah. if your system is based on the speed of the motor being proportional to the, the current or the, the voltage you apply, then all of a sudden it's unstable because the position goes to infinity. So the same system, depending on what you're worried, what you're, what you're interested in, yeah. can be either stable or unstable, which is always kind of interesting. So cool. <laughs> no, honestly, it is, it is. <laughs> And then the final thing that we'll talk about is Ruth Hurwitz stability. Um, this is basically going to be used if you have 
a system where, like we said, there's there's gains or there's uh, a polynomial that you have in your denominator for your transfer function that's really complicated. So you, you don't want to have to solve for all those poles. It's going to be a pain in the butt. So you use Wirth Herbert's because it gives you the ability to use kind of an analytic or a heuristic to be able to find those, whether or not it's stable or unstable. Mm-hmm. You don't have to find all those poles. It can give you an idea, or at least it can give you an assessment of it without having to find them. So what you do for this is there's a whole technique. We go through it in the textbook. I won't go through it with a lot of detail because it's just follow the instructions. But basically, you build a table based on the coefficients of that polynomial. So if it's a fourth order or a third order, you put them all in a row. And uh, they go in kind of a strange order. I think it's, for instance, if it's fourth order, the first row is like the fourth and then the second, then the zero and the second would be the third and then the first and then just a zero and stuff like that. So you fill it out. Um, under that, you put I some other... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it, it's in the de- it's in the textbook. You can follow along. You just take the you take the coefficients, you put them in the table. There you go. And below that, there's some what we call like B and C uh, parameters you have to fill out, which are again, it's a little math heavy. You have to do basically determinants, and but it's again, you're just doing some computations using a determinant, which is not the worst. It's a two by two. It's pretty straightforward. Nice. And that gives you basically a table. If everything goes well, then your table's got a bunch of coefficients in it. And what you look at after that is the first row, whether the sign of the coefficients changes. So if they're all positive, you're good. It's stable. If some of them are positive and some of them are negative, then you're looking at how many times it goes from positive to negative or negative to positive. So if it's 2, 2, minus 1, 3, then it goes, it, the sign changes twice. Mm-hmm. And because the sign changes twice, there are two poles in the right plane, and therefore it's unstable because there are two poles in the right-hand plane. Makes sense. But that's basically it. If any of the numbers are, are change sign, it's going to be unstable. If they're all the same sign, it's going to be stable. But again, there's different aspects of marginal stability and different kind of interesting scenarios where if you have either zeros in the first column, then you have to use a parameter to take the place of that zero and then go through the rest of your calculations and see if that particular parameter changes its value, whether you go at it from a positive to zero or negative to zero. So as you approach zero from both directions, does it change sign? If it doesn't change sign, you're fine. If it does, then it's, it's a problem. And also if an entire row of your table is zero, then you also get into tricky situations where it's generally going to be probably marginally stable. But to do that, you need to build another polynomial based on the row above and do some derivatives and stuff like that. So there's more math, but again, it's all a pretty straightforward process that you go through to figure it out. And uh, I mean, that's generally all you need to know about Ruth Hurwitz is there is a technique. You follow the instructions, go step by step. It'll help you build a table. And at the end, if you look at the table, you can figure out if it's stable or unstable. And especially because this saves you having to solve a fourth, fifth, sixth order polynomial, depending on how crazy your system is, it's going to save you a lot of time. The downside is going to be that you do still need a mathematical model of your system. You need to have figured out what that model is. So mm-hmm. realistically, if you don't have a model of the system, you're going to have to be stuck more or less with BIBO stability, unless you're willing to make some assumptions. Like you're going to have to basically say, all right, well, it's not the most accurate model, but it's, it's, it's close enough. It's representative enough that I think I can figure out if this is going to be stable or unstable and when it's going to be stable or unstable. Because a lot of this you can also, to a certain extent, compensate for with your controller down the road as well. Mm-hmm. It's basically it. Is there anything else that came up that you thought was uh, was interesting or important to talk about? No, I just uh, I love going through the, the material. I love going through the actual simulations as well as the know your understanding or check your understanding sections below so it was it was a good lesson all right cool i'm glad you enjoyed it i hope everyone out there in podcast land enjoys it too